your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire, the podcast where um, we remain somehow still platformed. I, I, I don't know. We'll keep introducing it like this way until such time as we are not, in which case we... We could probably stop introducing it that way, because, like, again, there's no expense involved for any of the higher up companies that own any of the things we're affiliated with and keeping us on. We are not paid for this. We do this as long as we want to. Nobody's ever going to tell us otherwise. So I keep saying it that way if you want, but there's not going to be some news flashing across Twitter that Off Tackle Empire's guys have all been laid off. We are not a line item on an expense report somewhere. You said a line eye. No, I said a line item. You heard what you wanted <laughs> to hear because you have an unhealthy fixation. So when I moved here and I would just see like there's a there's a big um, a major car dealer around here is uh, Golling, G-O-L-L-I-N-G. Uh, moving here from Champaign it took me years to not see Go Illini whenever I saw that. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. You might see a big announcement on Twitter. It might be a pretty big deal. Um, Off Tackle Empire staff laid, like, just all at once. I don't know. That sounds kind of gross. No, as that, we're not going to – if that happens at the company retreat this year, it always gets brought up. We're certainly not going to tell anybody else about it. So – um, I'd rather talk about a more pleasant conversation. Uh, my own team, Michigan State. Uh, um, basketball or football? Oh, well, let's get football out of the way first. Because um, so, <laughs> I was going to say, like, that... <clears throat> no, it's not. We Maybe, maybe not. No, not at all. We discussed at the end of last season that Mark Antonio could not have left Michigan State football in a much worse position than he did. Although I had to backpedal on that assertion a little bit, as it, even as it came out of my mouth, because remember 2016. It certainly could have been worse. Yeah, if, he, if he had spurriered you on some random Monday in 2016. I almost would have preferred it because at that point there was still enough talent on the team that his successor would have been in a much better position. <laughs> like, uh, man. Um, this is a paradox. Yeah, so 2019 bore a ton of resemblances to the 2018 season for MSU. And by, I mean, I was sold after the Arizona State game that this is over. D'Antonio should not have even come back for this year if this is really how he was going to run the program in his twilight year. That's what it turned out to be. If I'm not mistaken, that game ended up taking the number one spot for big tennis game of the year due to the roughly 50 minutes without scoring that ensued. Yeah, probably so. Um, (laughs) You know. Yeah, so they, they opened the season, or darn near, I mean, it's the second game of the season in both cases, with a infuriating loss to a comparably talented Arizona State team. They should have won both games in the matchup with Arizona State over the previous two seasons and lost them both on basically the last plays of the game. The thing is about the Arizona State game this year is that you you were probably prepared for a loss. You were prepared, for, at the very least, for some bad things to happen because, you know... Arizona State got a lot better than they were last year because Herm Edwards is raking in talent like nobody west of the Rockies is. But even discounting that fact, going to Arizona State is always, a, you know, a, a, a dubious proposition for a team in the Eastern Time Zone. You've seen it happen to countless teams. The 2019 game was in the East Lansing. Oh, my God. 
Um, well, so, no, I'm forgetting we, everything. No, it was the previous year when I had to stay up until 3 in the morning by myself because my girlfriend was on vacation. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. That was here because I remember us um, meeting at the Detroit City Clubhouse to watch games that wouldn't infuriate us. It was the same day that we lost to Eastern Michigan. So. Yeah. So anyway, in spite of that, Michigan State made it to bowl eligibility despite a five-game midseason losing streak, which had a couple of bye weeks sprinkled in there. So it really did last forever, at least it felt like it. Um, but they only got the bowl eligibility because they finished up the season with Rutgers and Maryland. And boy, did they ever try to lose that Maryland game. And I argued with some other Michigan State fans briefly online about this. That was a team that did not give a shit. They only won because they were so much substantially more talented than Maryland, and they still almost lost because Maryland had the best player on the field than Anthony McFarland, who nearly won the game by himself. Oh, see, what I, say, I mean, part of, a late part of that losing streak was uh, what would seem like to any reasonable person a, a win at, at 28-3, then turning into a loss, and after that had to just seem like, oh, you know... Never going to win anything this season now. So and again, we after have, that, it certainly yeah. would have seemed like, yeah, there's nobody that you couldn't lose to we if talk, you could yeah. lose that game. No, we talked last year as the game approached. Like, there's a, it's absolutely possible for this Michigan State team to lose to that Rutgers team. Like, that was totally on the table. Yeah, and again, it's it, yeah, if, they, it's if just, they had played Raheem Blackshear and Art Sikowski, they might have won that game. They came, very, they came closer than they should have. Not impossible. Um, so if they end up going to a bowl, they play a Wake Forest team with the pieces to beat Michigan State, but they end up getting the win. Who really cares? I mean, it was at least a much more watchable bowl than the Red Box against Oregon last year. My God, that had to be one of the 10 worst bowl games of all time, that Red Box bowl. But they win the Pinstripe Bowl, probably 5,000 people at the game, if that. Um, and then... D'Antonio does not retire, stays on until after National Signing Day, and then hangs it up after collecting a $4 million longevity bonus, and after the coaching carousel has already been spinning for two and a half months. So now Michigan State's got its pants around its ankles, they have no coach. They go out and get Mel Tucker, who, is he a reach for the money they paid him? Yeah, absolutely, but they had no real choice but to do that kind of thing. Uh, they were they were put into a weird position, and they responded with something that, given the position, like objectively kind of weird, but given the position they were put in, pretty defensible. Yeah, they made a they made their best pitch to Luke Fickle. The report was that his wife didn't want to do it. Um, who knows if that's true or not? I don't really care. The guy's not coming, and now he's off. The, you know, he's he is persona non grata forevermore. But whatever. I mean, he's not going to get the Ohio State job at any point. So I don't know what exactly, what better opportunity he thinks is going to be out there. But they hire Mel Tucker, who comes over after one year at Colorado, five and seven. But again, in one year, he took over a five and seven program and went five and seven. Yeah. So what can you say about him? Well, nothing based on his head coaching tenure. The hire is has been and always was premised on he's supposed to be a dynamite recruiter. He has former Georgia guy. Former right, yeah. He was a defensive coaching. He was a defensive coordinator at Georgia, and was basically one of the central figures in Kirby Smart gathering enough talent to challenge the likes of Alabama. So, the idea is you get him, you get access to the better talent pipelines in the country. It's and then, not even a month after they hired him, 
the NCAA tournament was canceled, all sporting events were canceled, and coronavirus shut down our society for four months and counting. And so because of that, recruiting has predictably been shitty, because he can't have any players on campus. He can't go meet them himself. The strong point of the new coach's regime has been completely neutralized. In retrospect, boy, um, there was never a season where it was as good an idea to fire your head coach mid-season as 2019, was it? Never, there? no. Because, like, how long has Greg Schiano really been recruiting for Rutgers? It, damn close to eight months now. I mean, that was one of the earliest mid-season firings that I can recall. Yeah, what was it, like game four or something? Game three or four? Yeah, um, it was in September, I think. But anyway, so that's 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 what brings us to the off season. So Can I just mentioned that like, I mean, some teams melt down more artfully than others. Like some college football programs melt down over the course of the season more artfully than others. Michigan State does it like oh, like an Olympic diver. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I I still remember moments that don't even involve Illinois from their 2016 one. The uh, the leaping penalty against Indiana, the fake field goal, uh, Maryland ran on the like. You know, and of course, having the ball for 42 minutes and losing a road game, like, you know, and then of course you have a five-game losing streak last year where, of course, that a 25-point comeback um, was part of that. So, so I, I, I guess look, so you get your money's worth when Michigan sure. State melts down. Sure. Much to the delight of people who honestly have no real reason to feel that kind of animosity towards MSU. I mean, for Michigan fans, I get it, but... The visceral joy that people always like to giggle Sparty know with has always kind of confused me. Like, what did MSU really ever do to any of you? But if, if you're like, I don't know, a casual Oklahoma fan, it, it, some of the things MSU does while melting down are objectively funny. Like, I suppose. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a set. And I'm saying that I appreciate that they, they really go all out, whether it be towards. <laughs> Towards punching above their weight class or just swan diving into three and nine. Yeah, but man, if you had told me five years ago that in spite of the six-year run that D'Antonio got in the middle of his tenure, he would end up leaving the program in pretty darn comparable position to the state he found it in, I would have laughed in your face. Yeah. I would not have believed you. Nobody would have believed you. Yeah, it really is <clears throat> difficult to... I mean, because yeah, it, things have come pretty much full circle. Um... You talk about 2006 was the Mike Valeni rant mm-hmm. about blowing a game at home against Notre Dame, and uh, same thing happened last year, but it was not even Notre Dame. There's a the parallels are fairly amazing. Yeah, in a distressing way. So if we were to look at this cadaver a little bit closer, the offense was and for the any time in D'Antonio's tenure, with the exception of 2009. When the team was not good, it was because the offense was a problem, because he had this conception that he wanted to stick to, but most of the time, he didn't actually have the players to pull it off. They had a good enough offensive line to run actual trestle ball one season. (laughs) They just had good enough defenses and a handful of others to cover up for that. Um, But to cover up (laughs) that to such an extent that you're talking about winning 10 games. Yeah, well, sure. And that's why, again... I don't think anybody would mistake the 2013 Michigan State offense for a good offense, a great offense, but it was good enough because of the defenses he could put out there. Um, But yeah, so the offense was the consistent problem. They were generally okay against the mediocre or bad defenses, at least in terms of points and yardage output. They were still really inefficient in the red zone. 
and against the five best defenses they played, Arizona State, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan. Their point totals were as follows. 7, 10, 0, 7, 10. 0 and 5. Um, they only kept it close against Arizona State of those five games, by the way, because their offense was also bad. Um, they did that offseason thing where they shuffled all their coaches around instead of firing anybody and replacing they, them. Yeah, they re- I mean, and you said this, they rearranged the deck chairs on the Titanic. That was all they did. It was the dumbest thing. I mean, like, I didn't pitch a fit about it, that I recall at least, because what am I going to do anyway? <laughs> like, it's not like me wailing yeah. against the void does anything. But it also is the kind of thing that you see in... That, that you see in it's the, the trajectory of a coaching career or a coaching tenure where they're just flailing to try and hold on. To I'll tell career. you exactly what it is. I'm going to tie in for maybe the first time my fiance's work experience here. Before her current job, she once worked for a company that sold and installed um, software packages for car dealerships primarily. So her job was to go and train people at these car dealerships on how to use new computer system. It may be a little bit different now, but... Car dealerships, in her experience, tended to be some of the most like nepotism-riddled institutions on the planet. Usually, some guy started it back in the 40s or 50s, and now his grandkids are running it who may or probably don't have any damn idea what they're doing. I work on uh, warranty, so... So you're very familiar. Right. So you're very familiar. You you and Christian commiserate about that sometimes. I bet you'd have some funny conversations. Didn't even know that you had that. No. Yeah. So my point, my point of bringing that up is, this was the situation where the grandkid who's in charge of a really important part of the business is a complete and total fuck up, but Grandpa's not going to fire him. That was the entire Michigan State offense, and it's been that way really since 2014. Since they had Connor Cook, a couple of NFL, and NFL skill receivers, and the only good offensive line they've had. They've been in a slide since then. The last two years, they just about hit the bottom. And all that's despite, by the way, having a still top 15 defense. But before this I, is a family business. Before I move on from this offense altogether, I will note that they have continuity at some spots here. They need to find a new quarterback, and they have no options on the roster that inspire any confidence. Rocky Lombardi is the only guy who's had any playing time at all. I'm fairly sure he's a sub-50% completion percentage on his career. Made a handful of starts in 2018, spot time only last year. Out of all the quarterbacks on your roster, he is, I think, the best rugby punter. I suppose, insofar as neither of the other, I mean... Theo Day had like a handful of snaps last year. They yanked him for calling the wrong play, uh, and then Peyton Thorne redshirted. So, I'm oh, sorry. I just when you look at Rocky Lombardi and then you say his name, you can't convince me, convince me he's not a fictional guy. No, he's not somebody's create a player. Yeah, or that he shouldn't be on you know the pro surfing circuit or something. Um, so the, yeah, they've got to pick from those three guys unless they feel like giving the ball to a true freshman and Noah Kim who was like a three star that they got late in the process somehow I doubt it um, I guess Lombardi probably has the inside track he's the only guy who's seen division one football in any meaningful sense they also have to replace their top two wide receivers Daryl Stewart who graduated and Cody White who mystifyingly declared for the draft he predictably went undrafted um, well it's kind of like Wole Batiku declared for the draft Wait, the NFL draft? Yeah, like, are you, 
I was about to thank him for his service to our country, and I was like, wait, we don't conscript people anymore. What do you mean he declared for the draft? Well, of course, um, Elijah Collins is that the same Michigan State running back that's been there since... I mean, was, was Langford really all that good? Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. He was he good. Was, he was good. Like, he felt like a volume guy, but since him, there's been all these guys that, like, seemed... For the first few games, like they might be that, oh yeah, 30 carries a game, Michigan State running back, and just kind of aren't. Elijah Collins feels like he has the best chance since Langford to be that guy. He's, he's certainly got the best vision of any back they had since Langford. He came pretty close to a thousand yards last year, and that was after I. I don't think he took the starting primary job until like the third game. If he'd been the starter all season, he cracks a thousand yards, which I think would have been the first time since Langford in '15. In fact, I'm almost positive he would have been. Um, he's certainly the clear-cut number one running back. They have a couple other guys who could do some interesting things. Ant Williams, they may use as a receiver, as a part-time receiver. Um, they have a couple of incoming freshmen. Jordan Simmons is a guy that they were at the coaching staff held on to after D'Antonio retired slash quit, whatever you want to call it. And he, he seems to profile pretty well amongst their returning players. Um, the wide receiver group. Their best guy is probably going to be Jaden Reed, a transfer from Western who had to sit out last year. He was a freshman All-American. And something that, you know, when you talk about the quarterback debate, pretty much the only thing people have to say about Peyton Thorne is, well, he went to the same high school as Jaden Reed, so they probably have a rapport still. I'm like, they haven't played together for two years. I mean, I suppose they probably were on the scout team together, but if that's really the best data point you have that you – Played in high school with the guy who should not be their number one receiver. I I don't know, man. Um, there are worse things. To Zach Grant, do you remember all the times that they won all those games? Took it. I I actually do not remember a single catch Zach Grant ever made. Yeah. Um. So right. So it's that's 2020. Yeah. So I'm gonna be the coronavirus of this thing. And you thought you were doing something. Guess what? You're doing something else. So tell me about this. I don't know what they're going to run this year, but what do they ideally want to run on offense like in steady state conditions a few years from now when they got some people together? All right, so they're not going to be using fullbacks anymore. All the all the guys who were listed as fullback are now designated as tight ends. Get out! <laughs> or go to the Big Ten West at least. Out! Communism is allowed. <laughs> um, they, they tend to run a lot more two-back sets, but like two running back sets. Um, they usually have at least they usually have one tight end and only one tight end on the field, so they kind of oscillate between two backs with three receivers or four receivers with one back. Um, that's about the best I can tell you. If I, I meant to watch more closely and see what type of logging schemes they use, um, but essentially, like what kind of thing on a on a down to down basis, what kind of thing is a defense likely to have to look for? A more a more balance. I mean, the more modern, would you say? Yes, by a mile. Not that that's a particularly, high, but you know, honestly, I don't think the scheme was as much of the problem last year as it was previously. They ran, they ran a little bit more tempo. They ran a lot more shotgun. Um, <laughs> they actually called some things that should have worked more often. The problem became, and it became kind of hard to. Avoid looking at it was their personnel just weren't as good as previous guys they've had. Like they didn't have, especially man. And I'm not bringing this up on purpose, but the first half of the Illinois game was where it seemed like, hey, what the hell is this offense that like seems like we should have been running this all year? No, they tried that at times, but the thing is, again, like, and I'm not going to name names, 
people, if you've watched this team at all, you can probably figure out who I'm talking about. But when you have an offensive line depth chart that has this much experience and this much interesting young talent on it, it should not feel like a complete and total crapshoot about how your line is going to shake out and whether they're going to be any good. This should be, by experience alone, one of the best offensive lines in the country, but it would be asinine to make that conclusion based on what we've seen on the field. They can't stay healthy, and they can't play very well when they do. Those are big problems. Um, so what's, uh, what's, what does Mel Tucker, Michigan State's ideal quarterback, look like? It's very hard to say. Um, he inherited the guys he had at Colorado. He, when he's been recruiting across the board, he recruits the biggest guys he can find. Big, heavy guys on the offensive line, very tall guys at the skill positions. He, they're, uh, so I can tell, probably talk a little bit more defensively. They're going to be running more 4-2-5, which, again, is good because, I don't know, <laughs> you know, when Michigan State's defense is collapsing late, it's usually because some linebacker is trying to cover a slot receiver. <laughs> yeah. uh, you remember that. So <laughs> the fact that they're actually going to be playing what is the modern base defense, which is the really fifth defensive back on the field. If you want to call that safe, that bigger safety guy a hybrid or a slash or a cover linebacker. Or a viper. Call or him a, whatever the... Or a star. Or a, a cool guy. Call him whatever <laughs> the hell you want. You just have to, like, your third linebacker... I call him a Lamborghini Gallardo. Has to be able... Drop top. Has to be able to play some coverage because teams don't have two wide receivers on the field anymore, so... So who do you think is going to be in the Lamborghini Gallardo spider position? Who the hell knows? Don't care. Was just trying to make that joke. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Defensively, it's going to be a mess this year because... As good as they've been the last few years, they did not do a very good job of developing much depth. They lose, depending on how you count, as many as eight starters um, from a pretty good defense. So they've got very little pass rush coming back. Jacob Pasuk is the only returning starter from the defensive line. He's okay, but he's nobody's going to mistake him for Kenny Willekes. Um, Antoine Simmons is a good linebacker, but again, he's one linebacker. They should actually be okay at linebacker. That's the, that's the one position group where, whether the recruiting stars were there or not, D'Antonio always had good linebackers. And the, and the secondary is rebooting. They lose both starters at corner. They lose a starting safety. So they have Xavier Henderson coming back there, and that's a lot of young guys. But to the extent that they still have decent recruiting talent, it's concentrated in the secondary. Julian Barnett, Kalen Gervin, and incoming four-star Darius Snow, that's where most of their better talent is now is in the secondary. So... You hope that that means something. I guess oh, we'll man, Darius Snow. So you're talking about like a, a bastard that was born in the North. Oh, man, y'all pretend like Game of Thrones didn't happen because the ending was so terrible. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That thing has completely disappeared. It was literally last year. It was all anybody talked about. Was I, couldn't, I couldn't get away from it. See, Game of, like, you talk about things feeling like they were a long time ago. Game of Thrones feels like it happened in the 90s. Yeah, pretty much. It's like, you know, oh yeah, I would, I would friends would end and then we would flip on game, flip over to HBO and watch Game of Thrones. Like, that's kind of what it feels like. Um, Back in the 90s, uh, Sean Bean was in a very famous TV show. So, <laughs> um, I guess, we've touched on the offense and the defense. I guess, what do you expect Mel Tucker to do as far as, because the, honestly, this is not just because Illinois. But that's this the, is that's the biggest data point from last the, year. Yeah, this about is the, the only, state of Illinois. Do not get me wrong. No, I'm not talking about the game. I'm saying the only comparable situation that I can think of in the Big Ten, at least, is Lovey Smith taking over Illinois in March. And how did that go? 
<laughs> well, at, yeah, at first. Well, because well, because I think that Lovey decided to just evaluate what he had in the freshman that he had that he'd had recruited there for him. He decided that he was playing the long game like from the beginning. Do you have any idea what to expect here? Nope. Well, <laughs> I do in a sense. I expect them to be pretty damn bad. Um, whether they opt to play... I should have, by the way, expected that Lovey would symbolically punt. Yeah, whether they opt to play D'Antonio's leftovers, you know, veterans who have mostly underwhelmed, or go with a youth movement and bring in D'Antonio's last two recruiting classes as the main focal points, who, by the way, not, not much better going on there. Their recruiting fell off a cliff the last couple seasons. Um... There's not a lot of good options here. They did not hit the transfer market in any meaningful way. Again, their best wide receiver will probably be a transfer, but it's not like they're out mining JUCOs. But, like, we're talking a Mac transfer. Yeah. Yeah, one Mac transfer. That also, though, he sat last year, right? Yes. So that's not even something that they did, like, under Mel Tucker. No, that's not. Yeah, no, that's a carryover from D'Antonio, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. It It's not... It's probably not going to be good. You could... I can squint at the front seven and say that if they find a capable pass rusher, they could be okay because I think Naquan Jones is going to be a really good defensive tackle as a senior. They have some other guys on the interior that are promising, and I think their linebackers are going to be the strength of the team. So I think it's more likely that they put together a good defense than that they cobble together a functioning offense. But I guess we'll see. I mean, again, the thing, really the most frustrating thing about the offense the last few years is it's I know some of these players are capable of doing better than they have been. Um, they just... they, they it, You can't tell if it had anything to do with the coaches not using them right or if the fact that they didn't have the pieces around them to be able to... It, it's, it's just hard to tell where it all went wrong, I guess. There are certainly... I, honestly, well, the, there's a lot of ways that it went wrong. Yeah, it's both. <laughs> it's A lot of the time it was both because... You don't lose a game 38 nothing against Wisconsin unless you are both schematically beaten and inferior from a talent standpoint. And that, yeah, <clears throat> that's really about the best there is to God, say about I it. I so. never attended an Illinois shutout. I have no idea how I managed to avoid it. Buddy, let me tell you, it's <clears throat> by, this was, I mean, this was the road game that my two friends from college and I went on last year. Another thing that's going to be a victim of COVID. We were finally going to make it to Iowa, which being a cross-division game, we'll probably have to wait until about 2045 to get another game in Kinnick, but I digress. Um, that was the game that we picked to go to last year. I'm trying to remember how far into it we got before we basically just turned into a three-person Statler and Waldorf routine. I don't think, I mean, I don't think we made it to halftime before we started. I mean, and like the Wisconsin people around us were like, <laughs> okay, they get it. Uh, you know, so <laughs> I think we made some friends and gained some respect amongst that little cluster of people around us that day. Yeah. Like these guys are not only are they here watching this shit, but they're being good humored about it. Like, yeah. Oh, well, see, like the, the the thing is, uh, that's not to say that I haven't watched a lot of awful games. I've watched like I went, I was there for like a forty-two to three, uh, you know, a forty-six to seven. But the thing is, even if that score didn't occur until the game was already decided. At the very least, you could give essentially like a big Bronx cheer and just let it all out. Let all your hopes and expectations and shattered dreams that you had before the game out in just one explosive burst of, <coughs> yes, 
Of course, I imagine, I don't know, did you do one of those big old Bronx cheers when they got a first down at any point? Or did they just yes. not do that? Oh, okay. yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> All right. All right. Yes, so yes, I guess yes, it's yes. not that much different. Pretty much except... I said, yeah. Um, the thing I'm trying to remember that I can't for the life of me is whether they attempted a sad field goal, <laughs> like, right before <laughs> halftime and missed it. I think they might have. Anyway, enough talk about that. So we'll we'll pivot to, again, understanding that probably by the time this thing airs, I'm hoping the conference will have clarified somehow what the schedule is actually going to look like because if MSU's schedule as it currently exists happens, they will open on September 5th with Northwestern. I've actually kind of been looking forward to a conference game at the beginning of the season. I've thought the Big Ten should do that for a while. Um, But then after that, they... Oh my God, Northwestern and Michigan State with new offensive coordinators in their first year. We talked about this... The Stupid Bowl! We just talked about this a couple weeks ago in the Northwestern preview. Yeah, it's going to (laughs) be... Hope that that game doesn't go forward at the beginning of the season. Hope that these two teams stumble their way through a couple of other games before they bump into each other. Otherwise, it's going to be like watching... Well... I hesitate to even say, I don't have a good analogy. Actually, I do, because right, I, I saw the question on Twitter about what is the worst football, what is the worst sports event you've ever, what is the worst football game you've attended? Of course, you know, I don't know, terrible loss by Illinois or few and far between, but when you talk about what is the worst football game, well, usually on the other side of a beatdown of Illinois is a football team playing fairly well, you know, and their fans are reasonably happy. Uh, I wasn't at the 63 to nothing loss to Iowa where Iowa fans were like, God, we fucking suck. But uh, I think the worst football game I've ever been to was the Bears-Packers opener last year. Oh, my God. Where neither team looked like they, <laughs> like they had played anybody in the preseason. Oh, yeah. Again, I say the worst football game I've ever been to. But the team I like won. It was 10-3. But it was also it was 10-3. And what happened was, of course, Mr. Trubisky's leading plays everywhere all over the field. <laughs> and for some reason, they're not running the ball even though they're getting like four or five yards a pop. Meanwhile, the Packers' offensive line seems like they don't even know each other. And they're just, I mean, they're they're, they're running for about negative one yards a pop. And, I mean, it it was, there were were 17 punts. The, the, The only two exciting, the three exciting things happened. One, new kicker attempted a field goal. I could feel the tension in the stadium. <laughs> the guy that got replaced with a double doink, uh, he made the field goal. Yeah. Two, Rodgers did one of those trebuchet the ball down the field things at the end of the first half. Didn't land. And then three, Trubisky threw a god-awful pick into the end zone, and that basically sealed the game. But yeah, like that's the best analogy I can think of, because those two teams looked like they had, like, like, like they were months away from being ready for primetime. Can't wait for the season to start. All right, let's pivot to basketball now. A vastly happier discussion for me and my kind as MSU fought through a very emotionally difficult season right near the beginning of the basketball season. Um, Cassius Winston's brother unfortunately took his own life, and the team then played under that for the rest of the year. And so that was why, I mean, there were definitely a couple nights where I was like, what is going on with them tonight? And it was a little bit of a touchstone to remember, like, these are very, these are young men. They're human you don't, beings. You're right. Man. You don't know what's going on in their lives. I've that's why I for the most part It's not necessarily their job, but it's the functional equivalent of your job. It's and you know what? what they do. Your 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 job, I mean, you've lost something. I I mean, my my, my my bird that lived at my dad's place died and I had to leave like 
early the next day. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was just kind of, I mean, it was a season-long reminder of, you never know what other people are going through. No. Fortunately, though, in spite of all that, they were, for the most part, still a very entertaining team to watch. Um, They had, and it, you know, it played out in very typical Michigan State season fashion, where early on they scheduled the hardest possible non-conference slate they can, which means they pick up losses to Kentucky, Virginia Tech, and Duke. Virginia Tech, though. Yeah, that was in a tournament. It was a weird game. They, the MSU definitely played like a D-minus game. Sometimes it feels like <clears throat> Izzo likes to have a surprising loss at the beginning of the year. Just they're not like, surprising, though. He loses like two or three games. No, but I mean like in those, there's there's always like, oh, there's the ones you expect that like, you know, are, are the schedule just giving you some tough love. And then there's also one that's like, yeah, but here's a data point that suggests that maybe they're not as good this year. And it, it's it's always it's always a false flag. No, yeah. It's a trust, false flag operation. Trust me on this. What that what I tend to found that's more a result of is he's had them fly like twenty thousand miles in the last week playing all these tournaments they're in. I think that's probably all it was. Um, but so anyway, they fight through an insanely difficult non-con, get a couple good wins. You know, in, to balance those losses, they beat Seton Hall, they beat UCLA, they beat Georgia. There were some good wins in they there. Beat Tom Green. Yeah, well, Tom Crean, and it's a good thing the game ended when it did because they were another couple minutes away from blowing a huge lead to Anthony Edwards because the guy was, like, unstoppable. Um, they they start off strong in conference play, then usually right around the beginning of February, they hit an inexplicable skid, lose a couple of teams, usually to, usually a couple of games to inferior opponents that happen here, see Indiana, see Purdue, um, and then they pick things up late, whether it's enough of a pickup to get them into the conference title kind of depends on what the teams around them are doing this year it was um, and that they closed the season with wins over Iowa at Maryland at Penn State and versus Ohio State to move into a share of the title with Maryland and Wisconsin um, so it's hard to know obviously I mean you can never predict where a team would have gone in a postseason but there was every reason to think that they had another deep march run in them their, uh, the consensus was, I mean, again, this feels like it was an eternity ago. My goodness, that's a clinky collar you've got, Minnie. Um, but it really did feel like this was a tournament that a lot of teams could win, didn't it? Yeah, well, there were, I felt like there were a lot of teams that could make, um, I could make deep, deep runs I mean, because there were a lot of teams in the Big Ten that demonstrated an ability to compete in and win tough road games. That's always a predictor of a deep, Tourney capable team. Michigan State was certainly no exception. Um, Illinois, Iowa, Maryland uh, felt like they had, you know, their best shots in a long time to get to the Final Four. Um, yeah, man, I mean, but Michigan State was probably the best positioned of any of those, maybe except for Maryland. Well, again, Maryland hit a little bit of a skid down the streak or down the stretch and gave up their undis- their sole conference title. So. Maybe so, but it also... Everybody's shaking their colors. Yeah, very, very clinky dogs we have here today. It also did kind of feel a little bit like Maryland was running out of gas, though, which is what happens when you are star-oriented and star-dominated and not quite as deep. Um, Anyway, looking ahead a little bit to this year, as was the case with Illinois, as is the case with a lot of Big Ten teams, there's some uncertainty here. Um, they did recently find out Kareem Manet is not going to be joining the team. He hired an agent. I mean, he hadn't committed to them anyway, but the thought was if he went to college, it was going to be at Michigan State. 
he was probably going to be a one-and-done type of combo guard anyway. Um, they're not getting him, but Xavier Tillman and Aaron Henry are both still in the NBA draft. Again, as we record this, the draft is still two weeks away. By the time we record it, it's only going to be about one week, or by the time we post it, it'll only be about one week away. If the NBA were smart, they would somehow uh, like waive their requirements about, like, essentially, if I were the NBA, what I would want is for nobody to know whether or not anybody had withdrawn from the draft until after the draft. Until it's surprise! All these guys can't play. (laughs) If you're an NBA team fan, then you've got the suspense of wondering who are we going to pick. But if you don't care that much about the NBA and you're a college fan, like, oh my god, I hope they do not call Kofi's name! (laughs) And then then after the... Oh my god, can you imagine that? At the at the end of round two, they'd be like, and also, these guys can't play no more. <laughs> and then they just, all right, so that's the last guy who got drafted. Now, let's put up on the screen the list of all the guys who are not going to be playing for their college teams this year. Are you telling, <laughs> me, if, are you telling me as a Big Ten fan that you wouldn't tune the hell into the draft at that point? Like, I'm never interested, but... Go back like 30, 35 years ago in NASCAR at the beginning of the races would be like, and here's the people who didn't qualify. Uh, Richard Petty didn't... Uh, <laughs> that's the thing that would actually happen. <laughs> now that you've already bought your ticket and are sitting in the stands, <laughs> let's tell you the guy you're here to see is not actually racing today. Uh, you know, when he was that's, Petty as hell. I love it. I mean, oh, when he was no in his, uh, when he was in his what mid late fifties. Yeah, NASCAR actually this was a problem, so they invented something called the past champions provisional, which basically meant you got a mulligan on qualifying for a certain <laughs> number of races if you had won a, a championship. There was, of course, only one past champion that was having these problems, but <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, um, so and then in addition to the two guys who were in the draft, Cassius Winston is gone. That's a big loss. Slightly. <laughs> to, to understate things a bit. He was absolutely the straw that stirred their drink. Um, Jesus, man. That was probably my fault. Yeah, careful. Um, Xavier Tillman would also be a pretty substantial loss in that he was the quarterback of their defense. An effective number two scorer, although it is fair to say that his offensive game is definitely built on Winston a lot. And that's part of the reason why he may be a decent candidate to come back and prove that he has more offensive chops because, you know, he's he's undersized for a post player in the NBA. I think he would hold up defensively. But the question the NBA team is going to think is going to have if they're drafting him in the first round is, well, what does this guy do for us offensively? Um, he's a capable rim runner. He has some post moves, but nobody's going to mistake him for Carl Malone. Um, that's why, why do you think do you think that he sees his family? Ooh. Do you think that his kids know him if he's going to have them? I mean, those commercials they put out with him are cute as hell. I like to think that that's the reality. Um, I get I get what you're saying. I'm not trying to stop on the joke. but So anyway, it, him coming back to school would not be as much of a surprise as it seems. The mailman delivers <clears throat> sadness. Okay. Um, Aaron Henry, I think, is probably an even stronger case to come back because... Most of the draft preview stuff that I've read, it does not seem very likely that he's going to be drafted. At least not this year. If he comes back next year, depending on whether Tillman comes back, I mean, the offense is going to be built around Watts and Henry and Joey Hauser. He figures to have a bigger role in a more distributed offense than was the case last year where Cassius Winston was usually the first option. So we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah, very good background noise there. Keep going, maybe. 
She's not likely to come. Pause. All right. Pause. Yes, there are indeed pause. All right. Dogs occurred. Right. So anyway. So, yeah. Are we talking about recruiting now? We can pivot into that a little bit, yeah. So regardless of whether Tillman or Henry or both come back, they're actually, I mean, they've got plenty. It's a deep and talented roster. There's no way, there's no way to be all that humble about it. It also seems as though Josh Langford is going to take a shot at playing this year after missing a full year and a half with recurring foot injuries. Who knows what you're going to get out of him, but when he got hurt, he was their second leading scorer. I mean, he was a good player. Um, you would think they'll get something out of him. They've got lots of wing options with or without Henry. Um, the real question is how do they handle the point guard situation? I would expect that they're just going to give the ball to Rocket Watts for 30 minutes there, but they have a couple of interesting options in terms of recruits. A.J. Hoggard is, I think, like a top 80 or so combo guard. Not a guy that you're going to put in at the point full-time as a freshman, sure, but he can probably handle the ball a little bit. Um, he seems more likely to play there because, I mean, their point guard situation is Watts, however they want to handle him. Foster Lawyer, who is physically what he is, he's never going to be, it's, it seems unlikely, I guess I should never say never, that he's ever going to be able to play defense at a Big Ten caliber level. I mean, he's certainly an excellent shooter, but you got to have better athleticism at the point. And then they have Hoggers, so... From those three guys, they have to figure out 40 minutes of point guard play a night. Their other incoming recruit is a top 40 center, Matty Sissoko, a guy who enters the part of the team that doesn't really need him right away. Um, who knows how, I mean, again, Tom Izzo likes to play bigger lineups, but the front court next year, even if Tillman doesn't come back, is going to have Joey Hauser, Malik Hall, Thomas Kithier, Julius Marble, and Marcus Bingham Jr., plus now Sissoko. So that's really six guys who play either the four or five primarily. And it also sounds like then that they're pretty set up for the years following this coming year. Oh, yeah, yeah. They've, I mean, they've, oh, yeah. I almost said, because it's still so far away, because you never know what happens in recruiting until they sign on the line, which is dotted, I almost hesitate to even bring it up. But yeah, the 21 class is off to an excellent start. Um, in that they've got Max Christie, who's, I think, like a top 20, top 25 shooting guard. Um, Pierre Brooks, who's a top 80 guard. And then, possibly in the 21 class, they have a commitment for the time being from Imani Bates, who most people think is the best high school prospect since LeBron James. Whether he ever right, I guess, uh, guess uh, Tom Izzo just you know, started cheating now because I don't think it, I can't think of any other reason anybody would want to play for a guy that's been in the profession for over 20 years, won a national title, and made a shitload of Final Fours. I can't think of any other reason that a really good basketball player would want to play for a coach like that. I guess yeah, all of a sudden he's cheating. Especially not a player from Ypsilanti. Two points to that. I mean, what? You think he even knows who Tom Izzo is? What the hell? There's some country called Yapisselentai? Well, two things on that. First of all, if Izzo started cheating, good for him. Why would he? Why should he be the only top-tier coach who isn't cheating, by the way? Uh, and, hey, at least second, unlike Bill Self, he's actually coaching. Yeah, no, and then second, or again, everything that's come out of the FBI investigation suggests that he really is the guy who's not willing to cut the check, and that's why he loses all those recruiting battles against the schools who do. But anyway, for the time being, and, well, so the thought is, obviously, like, look, Bates is an uber-talented prospect. He's going to look for the shortest possible route to the pros. But the thing is, because of his age, under the current NBA rules, he's going to have to spend 
he's not eligible for another three years. So he's got to do one more year of high school. Even if he reclassifies, he's not going to be eligible until the 2023 draft, I think it is. Or maybe it's a 22 draft. I read all this and I was sure I understood it. But anyone who wants to dismiss the possibility of Imani Bates actually suiting up for Michigan State, you're whistling past the graveyard a little bit. It's a long way... We're a long way from him playing, even if he does end up coming to East Lansing. But, boy, if he does, especially if he reclassifies, at that point, I would agree. If Tom Izzo does not win a national title with that class, he really has underachieved relative to the talent that he's had access to. Because that would be his most talented team, bar none. Not the Flintstones, not the 05 team, not the 09 team, not 16, not 18. None of them would hold a candle to the team he would have if it... Bates comes and he classifies in the 21 into the 21 class. And the best thing is that if Monty Bates went to Michigan State, because they're not one of those goddamn blue teams, you could watch other basketball games and not constantly be bombarded with Imani Bates graphics. Yeah, no, I somehow I doubt he's going to get the Zion treatment if he comes to MSU, even though again. He's a vastly better prospect than Zion Williamson was. I thought it was really cool as shit continuing to get uh, Zion spam on college basketball games. After he was drafted, like this guy's not a college basketball player anymore. <laughs> He's never going away. But <sighs> he actually is fun to watch. I'm I'm looking forward to the NBA coming back because the Pelicans are in the bubble, aren't they? I have no idea. Oh, I know. It's you know the two teams that aren't the Pistons and the Bulls. So. <laughs> Oh my god, the fucking... Was it, we're thinking of, wasn't there talk about them making a second, like, a loser bubble for the rest of them? <laughs> I'm not making that up, yeah, I swear. bringing us full circle to our Illinois episode where we talked about the loser bowl. It's it's like, it's the NBA equivalent of, like, not even the NIT, it's like the CBI or something, like... <laughs> I don't think I'm making that up. I don't think it's happening, but I know I heard talk about it being a thing, like, well, you know, I mean... These other guys are under contract. If we're going to pay them, shouldn't they be doing something? <laughs> let's, let's so what, you'd have just a... the Pistons and the Bulls, and then... Like the Suns and... Have, so uh, you'd have the Pistons... If you, you start with the Pistons and the Bulls and just have the Pistons beat the shit out of the Bulls every night because, you know, the Pistons at least still have kind of something resembling a basketball team. And then you add, like, four more so. teams, but the Bulls are still the farm team for the Pistons. And then you basically have the original six era of the NHL, <laughs> but it's basketball. Let's start something up. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I got look, if the discussion I've been having here sounds a little congratulatory, it's because, again, this is, this is all I've got left. Like, consider the other Detroit sports teams that there are. I'm, I'm not a Lions fan. I never have been. So whether they're good or not, I don't give a shit. It doesn't seem like they're likely to be. Um, the Tigers are still going to be pretty bad. They're, you know, Tigers fans are upset about having to play. What's that? You know, Tigers fans have got to be upset about the fact that Major League Baseball's back. Well, yes and no, because now that Jordan Zimmerman is hurt again, who could have seen that coming? It seems like they're not going to have. I mean, they're not going to have as good of an excuse to avoid calling up one of their one of the pitching prospects that they've spent the last five years sucking to get. So they're at least somewhat close to a turnaround, but the Red Wings are going to be terrible again this year. The Pistons have thoroughly stamped out any interest I used to have in the NBA from a watching games perspective. Um, and, of course, and the best our... <laughs> professional sports team in Detroit is not allowing fans because coronavirus. Yeah, so we can't have DCFC either. 
And then I miss you football. I'm sorry. I just don't like soccer enough to be willing to watch that shit with no fans on TV. I've actually, I will say that I've watched a lot more, probably more EPL in the, since the COVID shutdown than I had the rest of my life combined. And it's growing on me. It's an indisputably excellent product. Uh, it is weird without fans there, but given that I don't have an attachment to the teams, I can just sit there and watch it for the product it is. And yeah, it's growing. I haven't picked a squad. I'm not going to do that because I feel like I don't get why. You know, it, like the odds that I'm ever actually going to go and see this team play are non-existent. So, well, I'm not going to lie. I, I got I've sort of redoubled my interest in NASCAR, and one of the things that's made it interesting is that due to social distancing, they face they have no practice in qualifying. The first laps they turn are in the race, so <laughs> it makes the races a lot more interesting than they otherwise would have been. The best is going to be they're going to do the road course at Daytona, which is. Uh, which is essentially a new track for everybody. So the first time <laughs> that everybody's going to go into this turn one where they turn off the the, the, the super speedway onto this road course, it's going to be in the race on lap one. <laughs> What's the worst that could happen? Ooh, speaking of which, we got meat chicken next. Your source for big gun talk, it's off tackle, Empire!